0: Del Potro serves out wide. Block back on the backhand, pushes Del Potro deep and up the line with the backhand. Cross court and it misses from Roger Federer. And that is it, Del Potro tosses away the spare ball. 34 minutes played. And Juan Martin Del Potro, the sixth seed, takes the first set, six games to four against Roger Federer. This one goes middle of the box into the body Del Potro, pulls out a backhand. Inside in goes Federer. Forehand down the throat of the court from Del Potro. Forehand back at him from Federer. Forehand from Federer, cross court a little bit deeper. Oh, wow! Forehand from Del Potro now slices Cross court, backhand double-handed from Del Potro to the flick from Federer inside the baseline. The forehand back up the line from Del Potro. The slice cross court from Federer. The slice back cross court from Del Potro. They're slicing each other cross court at the moment. They continue to do so. Federer runs around, goes inside, and he falls over. Cross court forehand squash shot back by Federer inside the baseline. Backhand slice from the Argentine. Then the squash shot drop shot. From Federer wasn't good enough. The slice cross court from Del Potro. The pick up and the volley for Del Potro wins the point. Second serve Federer. Championship point Del Potro. Federer serves. Big forehand from Del Potro. The backhand flick from Roger Federer. The inside into the net from Juan Martín Del Potro. And championship point has been saved. And a couple in the main body of the match. And here in the tiebreak, Del Potro steps into the forehand, and goes inside out. Backhand slice floated from Federer. Inside in goes Del Potro. The squash shot from Federer. The ball lands in. Big forehand off forehand and the approach from Del Potro. Plays the backhand volley. Faye long. And then Inside out forehand from Federer is good. Federer forehand again. Inside out again. Stretch backhand from Del Potro. Backhand flick from Federer. He is pummeling the Del Potro backhand but he's making them. Down the line goes Federer. Cross court forehand goes Del Potro. Drop shot Federer. Here comes Del Potro. It goes up but it's not high enough for Roger Federer. Break point Federer. Second serve time. Federer comes in. Take this early with a backhand. Lovely angle from Federer. Federer is in at the net and he raises his fist. Federer has broken. He's taken the game. He's taken game number nine and he from his sixth Indian Wells title, leading 5-4 with the break. Stretch back and pushes Federer back, and Del Potro steps in with a big double-handed backhand. Now a forehand for Del Potro, scoops it up, takes a bit off. Now a double-handed backhand from Federer. They're both playing quite sort of cautious tennis. Now a bit more length on that from Del Potro. Opens up the forehand and goes cross. That's too good! Juan Martin, Del Potro breaks back. He saves three championship points, and it is five games all in the decider. Championship points for the sixth seed. Del Potro reaches up and serves and Federer slices the back end down the line. It's floated cross court from Del Potro. Del Potro double handed this time cross court and middle of the court. Another double handed from Del Potro and Federer now opens up the forehand but he drifts it long and there is the roar for Juan Martin Del Potro. The smile on the face of the Argentine. He has won his first ever Masters 1000 title. His title of 2018 his 22nd of his career and he is the new world number six a nice embrace from the players at the net but here is the applause from the crowd he raises his arms aloft after two hours and 40 minutes juan martin del potro comes through to take the indian Wells title against roger federer six four six seven seven six huge congratulations to Juan Martín Del Potro. He is king of the desert ending Roger Federer's 17-match unbeaten run. A reminder of that scoreline for the BNP Paribas Open Final 6-4-6-7-7-6 in two hours and 42 minutes. Del Potro now on a winning streak of 11 games. He's got two titles this year from three finals and he moves up to being world number six. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast coming up more on that epic. Heavyweight final that unfolded in the Californian desert. We'll also be looking a little bit ahead to Miami, the next Masters 1000, and back on the best bits when we heard from and spoke to some of the great and good of the sport. My name is Gigi Salmon. Great to be with you alongside Miles McClagan. Miles, what one word sums up that final for you?
1: Heavyweight. Uh, It it really was a heavyweight contest. Two great players going toe-to-toe, fighting with everything they had, digging deep, not backing off, not giving up, and a worthy champion coming out on top, a a champion that you know, so many people, so many of us myself, really feel deserves this reward from uh, coming back from all those injuries and just digging deep and playing great tennis.
0: 25th meeting between the two, so it was always going to be a case that there would be nothing new. It was about problem solving. Federer knows what to avoid and what he's going to get from Del Potro. Del Potro knows exactly what to expect from Roger Federer. Uh, this was a match, it just meant so much for Federer. 17-0 and 0 for the season going into this. He'd won- Won the tournaments he had entered, Australian Open and Rotterdam. He was looking to make history here with six. And Del Potro, one of those players, you had to say to yourself before this final, oh, yeah, he may have won a grandson, but he's never won a Masters 1000 title. And, and he's still on his very, very long journey back from multiple wrist surgery. Just, it just had a little bit of everything, just the build-up to this final. It,
1: it certainly did, because also so often when Roger Federer goes on court, you're, you're almost just watching for the artistry rather than the result whereas here you just weren't sure which way it was going to go. I think this was a bigger match for Juan Martin del Potro. Federer, as we know, has got so many titles, has achieved just about everything there there is in the game. Another title would be a great achievement but is not going to change his legacy. For Juan Martin, as you say, uh, he doesn't didn't have a Masters 1000 title. And so to get his first one in this style is remarkable. And of course, you know, it's a nice validation for him. The great tennis, he played it the end of last year, coming back for the, from those injuries, it's a very nice way to top things off.
0: He started Juan Martin Del Potro looking very cool, calm and collected as he does, but we just need to focus on on the business end of that second set. That's when it spilled over. Fergus Murphy, the chair umpire, was brought into it because Del Potro thought he wasn't controlling the crowd, and Federer was ruffled, and he was having words of his own. There was a championship point for Del Potro. It ended up being seven set points for Roger Federer. It had everything.
1: It, it really did. There was tension, and it was one of those matches that you felt you know, every point counted for something. Thing. You couldn't. Uh, neither player could afford to come off the gas for a second. If, if anybody went love 15 in their service games, you thought, oh, oh, oh. And amazingly, they would keep coming back w- with with an even better reply. I mean, Juan Martín Del Potro. We talk about the serve and the forehand. The backhand started firing as well. And and you know, Federer was looking for, was probing ways. He was trying to come forward. Juan Martín pulled off some 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 passing shots. He was trying to go into the forehand. I mean, we've just seen. He, we know he's got a huge four and we know he's going to and we're still shocked at the, at the pace of some of the, the, the shots he hits. It's phenomenal.
0: I don't remember the last time I saw Federer that ruffled. Now, a little mm. bit's due to this stubble that we don't see mm-hmm. very often and against Chorich, it was a battle and he had to find his way through and he found his way through in that semi-final but that was tough and a lot of people saying, was it the early start? And he's not used to etc., et cetera, et cetera. But here, he was talking to himself. He was yelling at his box. He was yelling at the chair umpire he aimed a ball, and, and rightly so, at Del Potro because he wanted to win the point. But it was just—it's a, a Federer that we're not used to seeing. And
1: because I think very seldom does he have doubt in his mind. He, he often—he th- feels he has his destiny in his control. If he plays well, he's—he's going to come through. The last time we saw him, perhaps a little bit uh, flustered, was at the end of last year, the O2. But we knew why—he was exhausted after an, an incredible season. But this was different. I think it was—he just felt—and. Uh, I, I, I do believe it's not just the players. There's a sense around the stadium, around the you know that, that the people are they come in to watch. But well, you know, the ones who maybe aren't that experienced, you know, come and think, oh, Roger Federer, I'm going to watch. You know, call their friends, yeah, I'm, I'm off to watch Roger Federer win the title. And then sort of you know a few games are set in. It's like whoa this is not quite what I expected this is not as easy as I thought this is, this is we're in for a battle here
0: I feel like when I ask for your highlights from Andy Wells I have to say <laughs> apart from the final because I can't ask that question and yeah. you can't not say well I think it was the final we just saw <laughs> so leaving aside the final which is everybody's highlight because it was incredible it was a match that lived up to its billing what else do you highlight from our time in the desert
1: well it, it's going back a little while now but we saw we saw the young guns playing, yeah. playing <laughs> some, some good tennis didn't we we saw or, uh, you know, quite a battle with with Taylor Fritz and Borna Chorich. That was a windy day, yeah. different kind of tennis. Two young guys fighting it out. Um, we saw Stefanos pass We saw Denis Shapovalov coming coming through, playing again. Uh, so, so some of the young guys. But for me, I think Borna Chorich, one of you know, one of the young guys that we've been talking about for a long time, really making a move. And what's exciting is that he played really good tennis. I know. Federer wasn't at his best in the semi-final, but it was a different charge, a charge that could could hurt uh, Federer. That that, would, that also had him a, a, a little worried at times. So that would, that's probably m- the, the charge performance, my highlight.
0: And you had an awful lot of players that you've worked with in the past, <laughs> doing awfully well in this tournament, didn't you? I, I,
1: I certainly did. A little, little <laughs> too late. Yeah, Kohlschreiber as well played some great tennis. Um, Marcus
0: Bagdatis. Marcus Bagdatis, who out didn't, lose. Illness, we didn't lose. We didn't in this lose. Tournament. Yeah,
1: yeah, undefeated. So, um, <laughs> yeah, came, came through qualifying. At, um, he played played some good tennis. It's always good to see Marcus. He does. You know, people enjoy watching him. It's it's quite often dramatic when he plays. And and Coltribe, I mean, he did play some spectacular tennis. Brushed Chilich aside and had a classic with uh, with Juan Martín. Well done, Miles. Pat on the back. Yeah,
0: thank you. Everything you did during your time with him, is easily coming to fruition. So things don't stop. This is our back-to-back Masters. Next it's to Miami. Now we don't have Nadal. We don't have Dominic Thiem. We don't have Lucas Wien. That's just looking at the, the top 10 players. Federer is defending another title, so he's got to brush off what happened here. Del Potro goes in as the world number six. Djokovic is maybe a couple of weeks stronger. So there are just, I don't know, I, I've I found this season so far so exciting in stone interesting. i know fedor's been up there dominating at a level but but under that there are so many other things bubbling under you touched on the next gen stars we've got some of the guys coming back from fitness it's just i think it's really exciting times
1: absolutely and it we're seeing different players react in different ways later in the tournament. I think sometimes uh, even earlier matches become a little, mean a little more because they're thinking if we get th- if I get through this, I've got a chance of making the final. I mean that you know, Federer was was always a favourite. I think to, to win this tournament, he was a heavy favourite to get at least through to the final. But you know, the other half you're thinking, well, there's a big op- opportunity here, which I think brings drama in. Earlier on and it's nice to see other players in the final and and you know, I've been saying for a while I think you know that what we've called the big four big five have almost Done themselves a disservice. They've made looking they've made winning tournaments look easier than it is And now we're seeing some drama at the end of events.
0: So Miami is going to be interesting or into the heat and humidity of Miami we shall see what unfolds and you will be able to hear what unfolds live on ATP tennis radio commentary every day of Miami as you'll get with every day of the Masters next year and World Tour finals the finals of the 500s now we kick off on Wednesday 10:30 a.m. local time so I hope you can join myself and the rest of the team because we're really looking forward just to having a little bit of a breather recover from that epic final and getting stuck straight back into things so join ATP Tennis Radio from Wednesday it's not the end of the podcast just yet though over the course of the 10 days or so in the desert we've heard from some fabulous characters those involved behind the scenes those taking their action to the court and those who have been on the court in the past all courtesy of Jill Krabis our roving reporter so we thought it would be only fitting just to put together a few of the best bits from our time in the desert you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Well,
2: this is Joel Krabis with ATP Tennis Radio, and I'm pleased to welcome joining us now is Severin Luthi. Severin, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. <laughs> and, of course, you've been um, on Federer's coaching team for a long time now, since 2007, is that correct?
3: Yeah, exactly, so yeah, 2007.
2: And, during, and since then, you guys have brought in a lot of different coaches, different voices on the team. How, how challenging is that? Because that's, that's a huge credit to you to be able to work with so many different voices coming in. How challenging was that?
3: Um, no, it's it's uh, different with uh, with everybody. I would say you know uh, all the different uh, personalities. But um, honestly, I have to say I learned also a lot. You know from those different uh, coaches. Um, yeah, uh, for for me it was a great experience. Uh, to to hear what they think about uh, Roger's game um, in general, also outside of the court, um, everything, the whole package. So that was uh, was very interesting for me, and um, yeah, I just try to, you know, my goal is always the same. I try to help Roger uh, do everything I can to, um, yeah, to that he is successful. And and um, I think at the end, if you if you have the same goal, then uh, yeah, it It's gonna work out. But uh, no, it was a great experience for me.
2: What are some of the things uh, since you've been with him that you feel like have impressed you the most as far as progressing and getting better and just the stuff that you've learned working with roger
3: uh, for, for me um it, it's especially also how much i uh, you know how much passion he has for the game that's uh for me that's amazing you know after after all that he won and after uh, so many hours on the tennis court he he still enjoys it and um i see him you know uh, not only on center court when he has uh, uh, in a big stadium uh, with a lot of crowd uh, but also um when we're practicing in Switzerland, maybe or or somewhere else, and, and there's just us on the court, and uh, yeah, he just enjoys to to play, and that's for me, that's almost the most uh, amazing to to see. But um, yeah, there's uh, many other things also, like you said, uh, he still wants to improve, you know. Uh, That's also something I think it's not that easy because if you're so successful, uh, yeah, not to just try to to keep your level but always improve and um, yeah, that's very impressive for me to see that.
2: And I know um, during his career obviously he's been so successful, greatest of all time. I think there's also obviously been a few challenging time as, times as well. Maybe he had a few years where he didn't perform as well as he would have liked, and also dealing with some injuries. How how was it from your perspective to keep him motivated on the in in those difficult times?
3: For sure, there were. Um, there's always difficult times, also uh, even in a career like uh, Roche's. Uh, like I said, maybe less or on the, on a the, on the higher level, but um, no the. I think the, the most important there too is the his own motivation he has. You know, if you have somebody who really doesn't wanna play, uh, or uh, feels like he wants to retire, then it's uh, obviously tougher. But uh, no, we, we we try to stay positive uh, at all times, and um, you also have enough reasons to to stay positive with uh, with Roger. You know that when he's healthy and when he's motivated, that he he is capable of uh, of beating anyone, and 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 that's um, so it makes uh, the job also much easier uh, for us. But no, for sure we have to we have to do our part too, and we have to. Yeah, motivate him at times, but um, yeah, it's it's a very thankful job I have.
2: He obviously has changed his his calendar quite a bit because of just to protect the body. When you look at that now and how successful he's been with how he's organizing his schedule, do you look back and maybe wish you could have organized it a little Mm -hmm. bit better from the beginning, or you don't really think about it?
3: No, I think those were uh, different times also a little bit. I think... uh, it's it's okay uh, the way uh, we did it but um we always thought uh, it is a good idea you know when he's uh, fresh when he's motivated um then uh, he's playing at, uh, at his best level you know so and at the end you know uh, it count what counts is that he also uh, believes that uh, it's the right thing to do so um sometimes those uh, things also need time and um i'm happy the the way it went uh, obviously I, um, when you look back, sometimes you would adjust uh, little things. Um, I think that's always like that. But I think we we were very lucky. And, you know, with Pierre, uh, his physical coach, who's doing a great uh, uh, scheduling, um, I think we, we took a lot of uh, good decisions too.
2: And also, um, you know, he had the injury in 2016. And after that injury, mm-hmm. I obviously took half the year off and came back and had one of the most successful years last year were you guys surprised at how quickly he was able to have such success right away after the injury
3: um yeah first of all i was surprised how um how quickly he was he was uh you know like positive after after he decided uh, to to stop the season um how quickly he he looked forward to yeah being with his family uh, maybe uh, more how uh he was uh, talking about uh, getting in physical perfect shape once he's coming back. And uh, and then, yeah, obviously um, it is a surprise, you know, if somebody after six months off, uh, he wins immediately a Grand Slam. It is surprising, but um, I, I thought in practice, uh, I told him in November, end of November, the beginning of December, I said, uh, for me, you can win the Australian Open because you're playing so well, you know. Um, then obviously it's... It's difficult to to do that over seven matches, you know, in a Grand Slam best of five at the first tournament. It is surprising, but on the other side, I knew that he, um, yeah, he had uh, the possibilities to uh, to beat anyone.
2: I know a lot of times, like he trains in the off season um, with a lot. He brings in a lot of these younger guys um, all the time, year after year how gratifying is it for him and for you to for him to be such a mentor to these younger guys and and to watch them succeed while still playing
3: it makes him very happy to see those young guys uh, you know being motivated and enjoy and and also um, obviously they can learn a lot uh, from him you know you can always uh, I believe learn from anyone you know but uh, yeah for them Mostly, it is a dream come true to to be able to practice a few weeks with him and see how he does everything. And they bring their coaches, you know, so they can talk to them. So um, Roger is always very happy, you know, if if he, if he likes a guy to see that he's succeeding afterwards. It's uh, it's always great to to see that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's very rare. I mean, that's an unbelievable mentor that he is to the sport. And then, obviously, we're here at the BNP Paribas Open. So, coming into this tournament, he reclaimed that number one ranking with his win against Chung, solidified it for the Monday rankings when they come out. Now, now being the number one, the oldest number one in ATP history, does he view that differently? A little bit different um, appreciation now that he's older. What's your take on that?
3: maybe you think a little bit uh, differently about uh, those things um i guess you you know that you're not going to be uh, for another 10 years uh, number 1 so maybe you appreciate it uh, more um it's tough to say i think um yeah he, he looks at it uh, differently and and for me from my side I, I really try also to enjoy uh, that time you know um uh, like i said uh, we know that it's not going to be for forever and and um sometimes it's tough you know but because of on one side you you try to appreciate on the other side you want to be ready for uh, the next challenge for the next matches and uh try to be focused so you have to find uh, the right balance there but uh, no it's it's great times right now
2: and then one last question i think because i think all of us sort of wonder when we talk when we're commenting these matches and talking about these matches what can you possibly tell roger to improve on
3: um i, I think there is always uh things to Im- improve on you know um Uh, Obviously we we talk a lot also about his game, you know, um, for me, uh, a guy guy like him who is uh, playing offensive and uh, aggressive tennis, um, you you talk also a lot about the opponent, but I think uh, most important is his game because we know that uh, if his game is there, um, he's able to to beat anyone, and and that's uh, that's our goal. So um, yeah, we we there's always small things you can you can improve. Uh, now the the people that talk a lot about his backhand, you know that uh, improved since uh, he came back and. Um, But it's it's complex. I I think you you need to to work on the whole game. You know, Um, we also worked a lot on the forehand, and I think that helped him with uh, with his backhand also. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's complex and very interesting.
2: Well, Severin, I know you're busy, so we're gonna let you go. But thank you so much for your time. Congratulations to you, of course, and to all Rogers' success. And thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you.
4: This is ATP Tennis Radio.
2: And I'm pleased to welcome joining us now is Neville Godwin, coach of Huang Chong. Did I pronounce it correctly? That's welcome. close enough.
4: <laughs> he doesn't get too upset if we don't get his name right.
2: Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, now, you know, he's had a really good start to the year. Obviously, semifinals at the Australian Open, but has backed up his results tremendously well. How have you been able to get him in such a spot where he's able to focus on that? Because semifinals is such a huge high. Right. But to be able to continue to play at such a high level after that. Yeah, I mean, he... he
4: He's still so young. He's 21 years old, and he's he's really enjoying the process. You know, he's uh, uh, very well documented. Obviously, we only started working together in December, so he's you know he's enjoying the process. He's enjoying learning new things. He's in, and enjoying uh, executing on a daily basis. And you know, maybe in the last three four weeks, his level hasn't been as high as he would have liked it, or as well as he was playing in Australia. But he's figured out how to get through some tough situations. So that's really good. And
2: you mentioned you just started working together at the end of last year. One, I want to congratulate you. I know you got Coach of the Year last year (laughs) working with Kevin Anderson, and that's voted by your fellow coaches on the tour. So that's a great accomplishment Yeah, that was a
4: really huge uh, achievement and uh, something I'm very, very proud of to be voted by my fellow coaches.
2: And so you stopped working with Kevin in December, started working with Chung. Um, it's quite big cultural differences there. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is it a different coaching style that you go about it? Um,
4: well, f- yeah, obviously, firstly, they one in South African, so obviously Kevin and I have a lot in common. And uh, the other is, is Korean, which we have less in common. But uh, old guy into a younger guy, and uh, just their game styles are completely different. So it's, it's been a lot of fun, and I've had to really try to think a little bit differently, you know, to, to how I was when I was with Kevin, but uh, it's been a really fun challenge, and I'm really happy to see Kevin's doing so well as well this year as well.
2: And as far as personalities, because I did, I interviewed Chung just briefly on court a couple of questions, but um, and I know culturally it can be different. The communication, I know he's still trying to learn a lot more English and stuff like that. How you guys communicate uh,
4: no he, his english is coming on in leaps and bounds i mean he's got a great sense of humor and uh if he if he doesn't understand something he's very quick to say oh i don't understand that can you explain it to me in a different way or i don't understand that word or um no we we have it's been working pretty well and maybe maybe he's not understanding a word that i'm saying and maybe that's the reason why he's doing so well so um no we, we he's he's got a great sense of humor and i'm really happy that his his english is improving so quickly because it's it's really coming to the to the fore
2: Well, he's so much fun to watch. I mean, I think he's just so explosive on the court. And I saw him also in his matches trying to come forward a little bit more, trying to come into the net. Is that something that you're trying to incorporate into his game? Well,
4: yeah. I mean, everyone knows he can play such incredible defense, you know, but uh, defense on its own is not going to really win you tennis matches. So, you know, and he he wants to carry on pushing forwards and trying to get into the higher levels of the game. So... Uh, you know he has to play some offense and uh, he has got really great hands so we try to use that he he's got a really good slice back as well he volleys well so it's just trying to find the right circumstances for him to get forward this is atp tennis radio
2: and i'm pleased to be welcomed by former number one in the world four-time grand slam champion and two-time indian wells champion jim courier
5: it's great to be with you, Jill. Thanks for having me on the show.
2: Well, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're a very busy guy, so we appreciate the time. I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, the men in general, because I know um, from when you played, you know, the game has changed a lot. I've heard you talk about it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Just give us your insight about how you feel like the game has progressed. Yeah,
5: well, certainly technology has had a big influence on on our sport. The fact that the strings, the poly strings, came into the game in the late 90s, that allowed players to control really powerful rackets. And as a result of that, that power has been uh, kind of democratized, if you will. Most players now, even small players, have a lot of power because they can use light rackets and use the strings to control them. Big pairs obviously have always had power, but that sort of leveled the power playing field. And what that's done is also put more influence on movement and, and balance in the game. The string has helped players control the ball a lot more than gut strings allowed players to uh, and now the rallies we see be, have become so much more physical as a result. There, there's, um, you know, there's an increased need for players to have physios with them to keep them on tour. That wasn't the case um, in the '90s and the time that I was playing on tour. There, there's a real in, increase in knowledge of how to prepare the players to make sure everyone's pre-stretching and post-stretching, and, and there's just a lot more diligence. Uh, the work days have gotten a lot longer for professional tennis players since the '90s, and and. Uh, um, you know that that is uh, that's added workload to the players, but it hasn't changed. Uh, it, it's it hasn't changed older players from from playing longer. they they've uh, actually extended careers in a more physical era, which is sort of those are competing forces in a way If the game gets more physical you think more players would have shortened careers with more injuries but we see so many players playing successfully into their 30s the average age of the tour has grown three years on average average age in the top 100 is 29 it used to be 26 so there's a lot to chew on and i just gave you plenty um but you know the the game is is definitely changed but Um, From my eyes, it's been all positive changes because the the tennis that we've been able to watch for the last 15 years has just been fantastic.
2: It's interesting to hear you say that because a lot of these guys are prolonging their careers quite a bit and and they're playing a lot of tennis, but... The injuries, for example, at this tournament, there's been a few a few players that have pulled out because of the injuries. Um, do you feel like that's the two because of the calendar year, or do you feel like just the physicality of the game is, is what you were mentioning? Well,
5: the calendar hasn't changed for many years, so that's not a variable. So um, if if people are looking for reasons that top players are having injury issues, that wouldn't be one of the variables to look at. Um, the age is, is the most important variable um, for me to look at because we're not looking at the same injury. So if all the players were having an elbow problem like Novak Djokovic, then you would start to hone in on the technology and look at, okay, maybe we have problems with these new strings. Maybe the, the lighter racket is hurting the player's arms. They're putting too much stress on him. But that's not the only injury. That That's one injury. Then you have Rafa who suffered the muscular injury up near his hip. You have Vavrinka uh, who has a knee issue. You have Murray, who had to have hip surgery. It would, but that's different than what Rafa's dealing with. So there's no variable that, that we would point to that says that there's a real common theme problem uh, like you have with concussions in the NFL. We're not facing that yet in tennis. It, it may well come at some point, but that's not happening right now. But the players that are at the top and have been at the top are over 30 now for the most part. And at that age, you're just more injury prone. The miles on your body are there. Um, their wear and tear uh, is there from all of the years of playing. And it's going to happen. And when, when we look at comments from both Roger and Rafa, when they're asked about the injuries, that's what they point to as well. They say it's normal for players our age to be injured. And, um, you know, what's not normal is the level of tennis that they're playing at their age. That's, that's the abnormal part.
2: Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely been really impressive the way these guys have just continued to progress. And um, what's exciting for me is that even though, you know, you mentioned Wawrinka, Nadal, they're not, they're not here. But what's exciting to me is all these other guys that are in the draw that are so exciting to watch. And there's so many great new personalities and new guys to follow. Who do you feel like stands out to you? Well, there's
5: so many to choose from, and there's a lot of different uh, different um, styles and personalities that are coming up. We just watched Borna Chorich and Taylor Fritz play a barn burner of a match here at Indian Wells. Uh, both of those players, the, the way that they're moving trajectory-wise, looks like they're going to be factors going forward, and of course... Sasha Zverev, already in the top five at a very young age. His future looks fantastic. Nick Kyrgios is, is a mercurial personality, an exceptionally gifted tennis player, and and a fan favorite in a lot of quarters, especially in young fans' quarters. So uh, we, we have a, a slew of Americans, from Taylor to Francis TFO uh, We can just keep going down the list there. Jared Donaldson already in the top 50. There are just a lot of different new players coming from all over the place that will fill a vacuum that will eventually occur when when the Big Four, Big Five leave the sport due to age. That will happen. Time waits for no one, and someone has to fill the void. Uh, so we'll, we'll see which one of these young kids can uh, become the big men on the block, not the new kids on the block.
2: And you specifically brought up the Americans, and of course your Davis Cup captain. Um Tell us a little bit about your role there, because it's it's always different pressure, I think, for the players as far as playing in tournaments compared to playing for Davis Cup yeah. for your country. Yeah. Can you just explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, well,
5: my role has evolved from the beginning uh, stages when I was a Davis Cup captain, captaining a veteran squad led by Andy Roddick and Marty Fish and the Bryan Brothers, players that had played a lot of Davis Cup, didn't need a lot of hand-holding or, or instruction. They, they were... They had ownership of their games. They knew what they wanted to do, and they knew how to deal with it. So that was more of a caretaker role, and, and it's evolved over the years with players like John Isner and Sam Querrey coming into the tie, and, and Jack Sock now in there with Stevie Johnson and Ryan Harris, and that, that's been our squad here as of late. So it's I've become – a little bit more hands-on than I was in, in the very beginning, but you now also over the time, players like Isner, we've had so many matches together that, that uh, I don't have to do quite as much as as was needed to build that relationship early on. Relationship building is really important with these players. Uh, relationship building with their coaches is also really important. Um, trying to figure out how to make them relaxed and comfortable in a highly stressful environment, and there are different triggers for different players. Um, you can't be one thing. Uh, You can't do the same thing with each player. You have to know what their idiosyncrasies are. So it's a real learning curve, and that never stops as a captain or a coach. You have to constantly be on your toes and and try and... And give those players the best environment to succeed in, and it is a different uh, scenario when you're able to be there on every changeover with them, which never happens in the men's game.
2: Do you enjoy? Do you enjoy that? Do you like being I on do. the court with them? Oh, I love it. In between, the is that something that you think the ATP would incorporate, or that? There's... I hope
5: not, because I, I love it in team competition. I love it when we're playing that environment for our nations. But I think the solitude and the problem-solving required from from tennis is, for me, it's, it's very sacred. And it's a big differentiator for us with other sports. Yes, golfers play uh, alone, but they have caddies that they can confer with before every shot. Tennis players have to be in-game managers in a way that, that very few other professional athletes have to be. I love that about our sport. There should be a value in players having awareness and, and being able to make adjustments, and not just responding to instructions. Um, so, uh, I hope that we never go to uh, to on-court coaching full time on the tour. If if we do, and if it's popular, so be it. I'll I'll move on. I'll accept it. I'm not I'm not an old stick in the mud. Uh, but I do think that this is a really um, you know sacred part of tennis.
2: Yeah, that's I mean that's my favorite Are thing about you? tennis too. Yeah, yeah how was it for
5: you on the WTA tour when when on tour events you have that option? So
2: they changed it while I was still on tour, and I have to s- I voted against it because for the exact reason you just said. Like I le- I feel like I learn more when I make those mistakes, mm-hmm. and I have to figure out how to to turn it around. I have to figure out how to change my mentality on my own, and that's where I feel like you get the best benefit yeah. as a tennis player. Yeah. So I I totally agree with you. I voted against it, but. They they did it and and um, it's been a long time now. Yeah, and when when it was there, I used it because mm-hmm. it was available. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I prefer to, to problem you solve. Prefer the slams
5: for, exactly. where where you have to fend for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: All right. um, now you also of course do a lot of um, TV commentating True. and the on court interviews. And I know you're considered one of the most popular guy to interview the players. Everyone enjoys you. It's mm-hmm. just.
5: Uh, I hear that from that. fans you're all just, the time. You're just saying that because we're sitting across from each other. But I'll true. take the compliment. <laughs> Thank you, true. Jill.
2: No, it's true. Everyone thinks you're the best. And I just was curious, like, what before going out there, do you have a, sp- a certain approach that you like to take? I know you try and keep it fun. And yeah.
5: I think one thing that people outside of Australia are not aware of is that any time that I interview a player, I've also called that match to broadcast. So I've been in there every point of the match. So that that makes it uh, very easy for me to know exactly what the player has lived in that match. And, and I can't imagine doing it without that insight because you can fly blind and you can get, get burned, I, I think, if you ask the wrong question. So um, understanding what the player has just gone through is really important. And I have that uh, I have that access, which is really nice. Channel 7 Australia is, is my main employer down there, and that's who I do these interviews on behalf of. And then when I go out on the court, I have a game plan of what I'm going to ask the players, but game plans are just that. You have to adjust in, in real time to what happens out there, and it's a, you have to understand the situation. How much time should you keep the player out there? Have they played a long five-setter? we should keep this short and let them go recover. If they've played a quick three setter, they may be more interested in, in sharing some personal things. And the fans maybe want to hear a little bit more from them too, because they maybe haven't seen as much tennis as they may have wanted to from that match. So it's understanding the situation, understanding which players are more apt to give you more and and less and, and respecting that they have other things to do later in that day with press and recovery that you don't want to impede. But you want to, uh, the goal out there of, of the interviewer should be to allow the player to expose things to the fans about themselves that will endear them. You know, this is a chance for the players to showcase their personalities and win more fans and, and uh, grow the game. So, and that's the way that I've always, um, well, I, I learned to view it that way once I got through the, the sheer terror of having to do it the first year. Because it was awful.
2: You never looked year. terrified to any of us. I believe me, I'm
5: still <laughs> terrified. You're you're one mistake away from getting you know burned by the player out there and, and making a fool of yourself. So I'm always on edge beforehand. But uh, through the the leadership of Roger Federer, he's shown um, how you can you can ask you can be asked serious t- tennis questions, give serious tennis answers and be asked personal questions and share a lot of oneself all in the same interview and it doesn 't feel awkward so he 's been such a great um, player for sure, but he 's also been someone who shows the other players how to do things the right way, and they pay attention and it's he 's become more and more and more and more relaxed as the years have gone by and and he 's He's the guy who's made it easier for all of us who do this to uh, to succeed because he's shown the way for other players to, to be more open.
2: Is, is there anyone up and coming that you feel like portrays not only the game style but has that sort of mentorship that Federer portrays all the time that could possibly gain his role once Federer, God well, forbid he said, decides to retire yeah, one day?
5: Well, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I think Andy Murray um, is so thoughtful in his comments to questions that are asked of him and i think he leads in a different way you know he he's leading on on thoughts on equality and and just sort of general global awareness and i think there there's a real need for that leadership and he certainly provides it uh as far as is providing more narrowly that that almost mentorship role of of how to behave in in all these environments I'm not sure but Roger is such a unique individual because it's hard to be competitive with everyone in the locker room and also be consoling them like he did with Sasha Zverev in the Australian Open after Sasha lost another tough one Roger goes over to him in the locker room which he obviously had no need to do and he went over and, and told him about some of his experiences at that age and gave him a pep talk. So, I mean, Roger's such an outlier. It's hard to expect that anyone could do um, what he's done on the court or off the court, to be fair.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely incredible what he's portrayed for this sport. Um, one last question, because I know you're busy. Um, just this tournament in general. I know you've played here many times. Um, how, what what is, What's special about the Indian Wells Tennis Garden that everyone loves so much for, to you?
5: Well, boy, it's... it's um, it's just so welcoming to everyone. It's so well thought out. There's so much space and shade for the fans. Uh, the amenities of the tournament for the fans and the players are just mind-blowing. The the amount of wonderful food that everyone can experience here from, you know, very, very high-end food to just good ballpark fare, you know, good hot high-quality hot dogs. They really they think of everything here. I mean, it's really it's fascinating to see where this tournament has, has gone, um, you know, and how it's really... Rocketed forward under the stewardship of of Larry Ellison, and uh, they're they're setting the bar for for the tournaments, and and not simply uh, the Masters One Thousands. They're also showing the way in a lot of areas for the Grand Slams. So um, it's been uh, it's been just fun to to see where this tournament um, is today, where it comes from, and and I can only. I can't even imagine where we're going with it, to be to be candid, because it seems like if there are any wrinkles or problems, they, they get solved within 12 months. In the next year, they're no longer there. Um, it's it's a really sweet place to come watch tennis and, and for players certainly to, to come play. It's why they have voted at their favorite Masters 1000 event for the last four years.
2: Great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and we hope to talk to you again.
5: Thanks, Jill. Thanks for doing this. You're really good at this.
2: <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that.
5: You're listening
0: to ATP Tennis Radio.
2: I'm Jill Kravis and I'd like to welcome the 2018 BNP Paribas Open Doubles champions, Jack Sock and John Isner. Guys, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks
6: for having us. <laughs> Thank you for having us, Jill.
2: First of all, congratulations. A huge one for you. Just tell us a little bit how special it was out there playing, arguably, the best doubles team in history, and also fellow Americans, the Bryan brothers. How special was that for you today?
6: Uh, it was. It was very special. Those guys have been around for so long and they've been at the top of the game for so long they've hands down the greatest doubles team of all time so for Jack and I to beat them it's a very big accompli- accomplishment for us and for me personally that I think improves my record to 2-15 and 15 <laughs> against the Bryan Brothers lifetime that's not bad and those two have come with this guy Jack so goes to show how good Jack is at doubles.
2: Well, that's a lot better than some other a lot of other doubles teams can say, right, Jack? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And you guys have played together obviously a few times, um, gotten to three finals in ATP <coughs> 1000 events. This is your second title now together. How would you guys thrive on such the big occasions?
7: Uh, I mean, I honestly think it's because we have a lot of fun out there. Um, you know, if you put too much pressure on yourself, obviously our, our main focus in our careers is just singles and um you know, we like to go out and play doubles. You know, to be able to have, you know, these moments where you get to play with your buddies and, you know, hopefully share some big titles. Um but honestly it's just I think we're loose out there. Uh we're laughing a lot of the time. Um, joking around and I think it's you know allows us to play loose and uh, I think if we can incorporate some of that into our singles um, especially this year uh, it would help a lot but um, you know that's kind of why we're out there as well to you know to get some more confidence for singles you can get some wins on court you're getting reps serving returning um, just kind of trying to polish up the game a little bit and um, you know we were both out early here in singles and the year hasn't been going great but you know something like this can kind of catapult you into you know some some sooner than later success in singles hopefully.
2: So is that something you feel like, um, because I know, obviously, singles is a priority for both of you, but you've done so well together. Is that something you would incorporate more throughout the year or in the future?
6: We're going for London. No, Yeah, it's, um, I think so. We like to play play together. I don't foresee us ever playing in a Grand Slam event. I mean, of course, as Jack said, our our focus is singles, but um, maybe my last U.S. Open, because I'm much older than Jack, but I think... Going forward in these big Masters 1000s events, uh, for us to play with each other, I think we're a pretty uh, formidable team. So, might be seeing us a lot, a lot more in, the, in these big ones.
2: And in in this particular um, tournament, you guys didn't went through the whole draw, not losing a set. Today in the final, two tiebreak sets, but you both seem to really up your level in both the tiebreakers. What was the difference?
7: You know, anytime you're playing with this guy, it's uh, you know, it's a pretty simple job for me when he's serving. Just uh, don't let anything get by me, line, you know. Um, but when he's serving there's there's not a whole lot you know the, the other guys can do so it makes my life easy up there and uh I thought John you know it took a little bit you know for the first couple of matches um and then the at the end you know these last few matches I thought he returned unbelievable um and he started you know hitting out on the ball really well the second shots um you know he's hitting balls past the guy all the time so um you know when that's happening then it's I don't know it's it's a much easier day for us but I just think we our our styles gel well together. Obviously, he's bringing the big pace on the serve and um, the finesse and the hands up the net. And uh, And yeah, yeah, no. And uh, you know, I'm kind of bringing the the craftiness, maybe the movement, trying to run down balls and keep us in points. And um, you know, so I think we, you know, together, I think we make a pretty dangerous team.
2: Well, I think it's safe to say we all hope to see you guys playing some more doubles together. But congratulations on a great event, and uh, definitely enjoy it for sure.
7: Thank you. Thanks for
6: having us, Jill. Thank you, Jill.